You're the one who's exploiting these children. What do you have to say for yourself? You can say I'm ugly. You can say I'm untalented. But don't you dare say I don't care about the children. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. This is Luigi, and I'm here with Chris and Carl today. You know, I could get trained chimps to do their jobs, but it would be a waste of perfectly good trained chimps. <laughs> Chris here, and I'm about to throw a shoe across the Orange Julius to the Sunglass Hut to the Nordic Track Store and right up Gary's monkey-loving butt. <laughs> and I'm Carl. Please hurry. If I'm late getting back to the nudie bar, they'll make me watch Carolina City. <laughs> we are reviewing Season 11, Episode 2, Children of the Chords. Original air date, October 5th, 1996. Gary declares a sales contest between Al and Griff. The winner gets a race. However, an appearance of an immigrant child who works in Gary's illegal sweatshop gives Al a better idea than selling shoes. Director, Amanda Burse. Writers, Matthew Berry and Eric Adams. Special guest stars, Harold Sylvester as Griff. Janet Carroll as Gary. Teresa Parente as Miranda Veracruz de la Hoya Cardinal. Patrick Thomas O'Brien as Bob Thompson. Chris Elwood as Delivery Guy. Lee Arnone Briggs as Woman Customer, Louisa Abernathy as Christy, Eric Vasquez as Immigrant Kid Number One, Cherise Legault as Immigrant Kid Number Two, Richie Ornelas as Thug, Guy Kochlani as Immigrant Kid Number Three, and Lucky the Dog as Lucky the Dog. So, welcome back, everyone. And this is the first episode of Season 11 for Team Chris and Luigi, and we're really happy to have Carl back with us. Can you guys believe it? Season 11. I know, it's hard to believe. It feels like just yesterday we were picking up, you know, when, when we joined the podcast there in Season 8, very beginning of se Season 8. Yeah, I can't believe we're here already. Yeah, I mean, so Carl, from your perspective, I know... Uh, you're usually on the other side listening in on us. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how does it feel to say we're in the twilight of this, uh, our favorite sitcom of all time? Well, uh, every week I look forward to, to tuning into the podcast, like episode after episode and after episode. Like in the, the, the more episodes we get addicted to, the sooner we realize, oh dear, we're almost to the very end. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Tyler and uh, Stephen in last week's episode in the in the season opener Twisted talked a little bit about this and they were joined by Stefan. The format of Married with Children changed in season 11. So, you know, before we get into it, now what we have are what are called cold openings where we don't see love and marriage in the opening credits. 
You know, so we have a little segment, then we go to the opening credits, and then the sort of story begins. Chris, before we recorded this, had asked me this question. Remember, Chris, you said you asked me like what I thought about this, and I said like this episode feels like a game of ping pong, because uh, <laughs> the, the way I describe it is we have a lot of short scenes. It's like there's a short scene in the living room, then we go to the shoe store, and then back, and you know. Back to the living room, back to the shoe store, and you know, and uh, then out to the um, the sweatshop, and it feels like you know none of these segments last more than two minutes each. Yeah, you know, so that is like one thing right off the bat before we get into our analysis, and this is going to yeah. be a feature of season eleven, and you know, I I think before like we sort of show our hand, I'll say that the one of our notes from Annabelle who really, I guess, uh, educated me on this. Um, again, reading her website uh, many years ago, many decades ago, <laughs> and it's still there. Uh, pretty much the writing staff changed dramatically. We had brand new writers, brand new producers. So in many respects, this feels like a different show. It does. Yep. Yeah, it really does. The style of the show, the style and tone of the show has changed pretty dramatically at this point. You know, we, we interviewed Rich Scheinder recently, and we pointed out to him that you know after he left the show, over the years, the, the style of the show changed. And it's never more evident than in season 11. If someone were to watch an episode of Married with Children in season three or four or five, and then pick up an episode in the middle of season 11, they would think it's a different show. Because <laughs> the style... And tone of it has changed so dramatically. I mean, it's still the same characters, but they're different in a way. And we'll we'll get more into that as we go along. But it's definitely different. Yeah, and one thing I want to point out on uh, Rich's interview, he did say to us that comedy needs to evolve with the times. And what he pointed out correctly, and I, I never thought of it this way, Married with Children was a groundbreaking TV show in 1986, 1987, when that first season was filmed. And if they had just kept it that way, the show would have been stale. Like if they had kept that format of the first season, for example, first and second season, because there were many copycats that that appeared in the late 80s and early 90s. So the show needed to continue to evolve and really had evolved to this live-action cartoon. So I I sort of understand that, but I'd say that the writing, I feel like, suffered. Now, one thing I will point out, uh, I think both of you guys look at those, um, like, let's say, Al Bundy reaction videos on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're both familiar with them. Uh, yes. If if we look at this particular episode, there's at least three of them, like three scenes in there that appear in those uh, a lot of those videos, because I think it's like Al Bundy's greatest insults or something like that. Okay. So as we get through them, I, I guess you know, hopefully we could point them all out. But they're in this episode. So the thing is, they have the good zingers, but the problem is, is that how they all tie together in the storyline, like you know, like I feel like. You know, you'll have a much deeper, I'd say that the storylines went much more deeper in earlier seasons, where here it's just a quick joke and you move on. Yeah. Uh, like, like one of my favorites that I'll give is, if you remember in the early seasons, like Bud writes like a, 
a little piece for the newspaper. It's like cheap blonde, 17 looks 30, right? You know, like she, and she says like, <laughs> no reading or writing, please. And right. then it's like, you know, like five or six minutes later, there's a payoff. It's like Al comes and sits on the couch. It's like, am I going to stoop so low as this cheap blonde who can barely read or write? You know, I mean, like right. that, like that's the laugh out loud moment because it's like, you know, you, they set it up, but the payoff isn't until later. Right. Here, every single payoff happens immediately. And that, to yeah. me, uh, takes away from the comedy. Yeah, it does. Steven will like this because I'll give a, a baseball analogy. It's almost like the writing staff is swinging for the fences every single time. They're swinging for a home run with every joke. But sometimes you need to get some base hits. You need to get some singles and some doubles and then, then hit a homer <laughs> versus just swinging for the fence every time. And a lot of that, and, and you see a lot of that in this episode, and, and I think that's pretty normal for this era of the show. You'll get a joke, and it's, it's a laugh-out-loud joke. It legitimately, legitimately makes me laugh, but then there's nothing for the next three or four or five minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Until the next home run is hit. Right. Carl, what are your thoughts on that? Like I know, I know about, um, but twenty years ago, Eat Network did a Eat True Hollywood story on married children, and one of the things they mentioned was by the time they got to season eleven, they got brand new producers, they got brand new writers, and all the network executives that were there when the show first began were pretty much gone by the time season eleven began. And the season eleven felt it, it, once you um, start season eleven. Um, compared to like where we left off at the end of season ten, it feels like a completely brand new show. And these uh, people, like um, they claim to, or Christina Applegate in the Each You Hollywood Story said that they claim to have watched the show, they've studied the show, but they can't seem to write for the characters. And even though the stuff is funny, it's a completely different set of writing and um, jokes than what we've been used to throughout the previous ten seasons. They are staying true to the characters to to some extent. I mean, mm -hmm. the characters are the characters. But again, it's like, I feel like the charm of the comedy. And, you know, again, if I go back to the Rich Scheidner interview, it's about, you know, style. Like, you know, what, what makes it special is like sort of like setting up a joke at the beginning and getting the payoff at the end. Or even like an episode later, if it was like a two-parter. But here it's like there's more of a focus on the gags and the comedy and i feel like it has an opposite effect now right. i mean carl you've mentioned you know when we've spoken to you before you are a fan of the later season episodes so that's correct you know, so the thing is is that i think you said your sort of your heyday is like season nine if i remember correctly right Seasons 9 and 10 were tend to be my favorite. Cause like Season 9 is the first season I was introduced to, and then Season 10 came along with it. So those tend to be... Um, so those two were pretty much my most favorite um, seasons of them all. And by the time Season 11 came along, somehow they... For some reason, they just felt so connected. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Chris, I believe Michael Moyer said to us that uh, I believe his last interaction with the show was in Season 10, right? So, I mean, he was gone for season 11. I believe so, yeah. Right. You know, I was just about to say, um, and, and this is a quote that I think is is very evident in season 11. And it, I forget where I read this, but it goes, no amount of great acting can make up for poor writing. And I feel like that's evident in season 11 and, and this episode in particular. We have the same characters that we all know and love. We still have played by the same actors. We still, it's still Ed O'Neill. It's still Katie Seagal. 
Christina Applegate, David Faustino, and so on and so forth. But it almost feels like, due to the some of the poor writing, it almost feels like they overact, so to speak, to make it to try to make it funny. And no amount of great acting can make up for bad writing. And the very opening scene, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. When Al and Peg are bickering back and forth, you know, when Al goes, I'm getting a raise, and she goes, you haven't had a raise since our honeymoon, and even that was below minimum or, or, or whatever, whatever she said there. <laughs> Look at the way Ed O'Neill, whenever, when Ed O'Neill walks across the screen, the Living room. Look at how he walks. It's just kind of goofy. You know what I mean? It's almost as if he was uh, Ed O'Neill was overacting <laughs> to try to make. And that's and that's a pretty good joke. I mean, that's that's the classic, you know, wheel, you know, back to the wheelhouse joke that we all know and love. You know, they feud about sex all the time. But if you really watch in season eleven, uh, you'll see what I mean. It, it's the like the actors are overacting to try to make up for the poor writing. So right. <laughs> And I do want to point out, uh, remember in our interview with Jennifer Lyons, so she appeared in Twisted. Now, one thing we want to point out to the fan base, Twisted was actually the third episode produced for season 11. The first episode, which should have been the season opener, based on uh, the production schedule, was The Stepford Peg. And that's not going to appear until episode 10. So we have another we have we have another seven weeks for that. Now, Children of the Corns was the second episode produced, and actually the one after this, the following week, was Twisted with Jennifer Lyons. Now, Jennifer did say to us in her interview that she felt that the actors were sort of over it at that point, especially yeah. the female actors. So that uh, was uh, <laughs> uh, that sort of telling just hearing it from them at that point in time. I mean, obviously, right. the interview with Rich. Rich was long gone. He was gone for a decade at this point. So, right. <laughs> yeah, to 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 totally different uh, perspective. It's interesting to me that she remembered that from twenty five years in the, you know in the past. <laughs> that's tell that's telling. And her third week on the show, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's very telling to me that she would remember that twenty five years later. <laughs> But yeah, that's interesting that Twisted wasn't the I, I wasn't aware that that wasn't the uh, first one uh, recorded for season 11. I actually really, really liked that episode. I felt that like that was one of the stronger ones from season 11 personally. Yeah, I, I honestly I do think that that would have been a better season opener. Uh, yeah. There's a scene there with uh, Griff where he's on the couch and they said that he got out of prison. So there was some great continuity there, uh, <laughs> you know, for uh <laughs> Again, because for a show that rarely had continuity, like they sort of had to uh, explain how Griff is alive in the uh, living room. Because the last scene we see him in the electric chair at the <laughs> at the end of season ten. <laughs> now, and you know, and, and sort of about production order, and then we'll get started with the episode because uh, our fans will not hear Annabelle until episode four. So next week we'll have uh, Stephen and Tyler and myself on. Uh, uh, for the episode, Kelly's Got a Habit. But um, you know, just to make sure, like I, I'm representing Annabelle properly, I'd say the, the episode order for season 11 was the most jumbled of all. So in other words, it's like if you go by production code, it's like I'm going to go through it for you right now. So for 24 episodes, this was the order. 3, 2, 6, 7, 9, 11, 8, 13, 5, 1, 10, 4, 14, 16, 17, 18, 12, 15, 
19, 22, 20, 23, 24, 21. I mean, that sounds like a bingo, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wheel. I, I, you wow. Know, it's one of the telling things about this. And, you know, I don't know if that was just a fact of maybe they're just trying to put some order to it. They're trying to be funny. They're trying to be strategic. Yeah, talk about ping pong. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> I would think that would be confusing for the, the actors and actresses, too, you know. Well, again, they, they filmed it in a certain order. Like How to Marry a Moron was, oh, the, last, true, yeah. was the last one that they filmed, but they had no uh, say in when things were broadcast. And, you know, when we get to the final episode of season 11, Chicago Shoe Exchange, it's like, well, it just didn't make any sense. It's like, you know, you had a, the series finale it was How to Marry a Moron, and that was what was broadcast out to the world as the series finale. And yet you have a brand new episode a few weeks later. You know, because uh, it's like, did they just forget about it or, you know, or like what happened there? So I it's very telling. But anyway, let's get underway. The title for this episode comes from Children of the Corn, advertised as Stephen King's Children of the Corn, a 1984 American supernatural folk horror film based upon Stephen King's 1977 short story of the same name, directed by Fritz Kirsch. The film's cast consists of Peter Horton, Linda Hamilton, John Franklin, Courtney Gaines, Robbie Kiger, Anne-Marie McEvoy, Julie Madalena, and R.G. Armstrong. Set in the fictitious rural town of Gatlin, Nebraska, the film tells the story of a, a malevolent entity referred to as He Who Walks Behind the Rose, which entices the town's children to ritually murder all the town's adults and a couple driving across the country to ensure a successful corn harvest. Uh, so uh, I think, uh, uh, as I said, uh, the podcast, uh, the first two teams of podcasters for the Married with Children podcast, I feel like they would have been all over this. <laughs> Again, I'm not a horror film guy, but I think they would have um, enjoyed it. Uh, we have a note here from Annabelle. So Al says, and I want my psycho dad part one, Begone, Children of the Corn. So this, so this title and this particular film was referenced once before on the show. You know, I'll say, uh, here's my Children of the Corn uh, story. I, I remember when that uh, movie used to air on television as a kid. My mom would never let me watch it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I was allowed to watch Married with Children, but I couldn't watch Children of the Corn. <laughs> I, I still have not seen that movie to this day, actually. <laughs> I need to watch it just for, just for the hell of it. I mean, it's over hell it's almost 40 years old now i need to watch it sometime but yeah i was never allowed to watch that have you ever seen that movie carl no i have not yeah sorry alex <laughs> <laughs> i know he's disappointed out there <laughs> all right so we begin this episode with al and peggy in the kitchen big day today peg i'm getting a raise Al, you haven't had a raise since our honeymoon. <laughs> and even that was below minimum. <laughs> What's for breakfast today, Peg? Scrambled nothing or nothing over easy? You know, Al, I've been a little concerned about your cholesterol, so I've switched to nothing beaters. <laughs> Besides, your paycheck is so small, we can't afford the luxuries of life. Gee, Peg, is a shotgun considered a luxury? Maybe. But unlike you, Al, a shotgun can go off more than once a month. 
well, if I had something worth stuffing, maybe I'd take my gun in the woods more often. So we have these uh, stock sex jokes, which are, you know, I'd say pretty good. Yeah. I mean, Chris, you just talked about that, you know, just earlier. Yeah, it, it was, it it's kind of interesting. It, the sex feud between Al and Peg is one of my favorite jokes in the entire series. And I felt like the delivery was pretty good. I laughed at that pretty pretty well. But just watching Ed O'Neill's mannerisms and the way he walked, uh, it makes me wonder: like, did they take did they take you know two or three or four takes on that or something? You know what I mean? Because the way he was walking looked kind of goofier than it normally would. I don't know. Well, let me tell you. You know, I I got a good look at Katie Segal, and she's looking really good. I mean, she had uh, her baby at the end of season ten. And uh-huh. she bounced right back. I mean, she looks pretty hot there. Dude, you took the words right out of my mouth. I literally wrote, I, I, I'll tell you exactly what I wrote. By the way, Peg looks amazing. She had a baby the previous year, right? Yeah. <laughs> she looks awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, Peg is like one of those characters that I feel like aged like a fine wine. I feel like, you know, she looked better as the time as time went on. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Kelly comes down. <laughs> audition blouse what does it look like uh it's (laughs) see-through oh maybe that's why i can't find it so kelly's lucky blouse is see-through huh (laughs) (laughs) Uh. hi there i have a free gift for peg bundy home shopper of the month (laughs) kelly give the man a tip I, uh, I get dressed with the curtains open every morning. I know. Why do you think I picked this route? <laughs> so now we get introduced to a delivery guy who's holding a microwave with a bow on it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, you know, Peggy tells Kelly to give him a tip, right? Now, if you recall... Remember, like, you know, we've we've had sort of these tip jokes before. Like, Al says, here's a tip, right? Doors are hard. Like, you know, he grabs the, the guy and, like, slams <laughs> him up against the door, right? Uh, it was the pizza delivery guy, if I remember correctly, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the thing, it's funny, but it's like we've sort of tread this way before, right? I don't know, Carl, what right. do you think about that? Well, like, in some way, it does um, revisit, like, old old memories of the show, but it's just the way that it was... The way that they've written it this time around, it makes it feel like um, something more fresh. Instead of Al saying it, you now have Kelly saying it. Right. Yeah, uh, good points. I mean, and you know, I, I sort of said this. When I first uh, was on the podcast at the end of season six as a guest, one of the comments that I made uh, back you know, with Alex, Dan, and Jamie, I was like, and we talked about this with the animated series in that podcast you know, sort of like, again, what we thought, trying to, I mean, I sort of get the fact, listen, you've been doing this for over 10 years, the same kind of joke week after week, you know, for 26 episodes, 24, you know, some in in that number. How many times can you say the same joke and it's going to be fresh and hit? And, you know, that's one of my concerns with, trying to reboot or like let's say people to say well we pick up with the 12th season or the third and the 13th season 
how do you keep it fresh? Because it's like these jokes have just become very rote. And if you think about it at this point too, the show has been in syndication for quite a number of years as well. So people are getting saturated with this humor. And if anything, it, you know, the show now in season 11 is a caricature of itself because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my response to that, and I, and I agree with what you're saying totally, uh, you know, when you make the same joke over and over and over, you know, how many times can you pull a rabbit out of a hat, so to speak? Well, the one thing that can help is the difference in technology now compared to 25, 26, 27 years ago. For example, we just saw a shopping joke. Peg is the home shopper of the month, I think is what they said. Yes. Okay, so we've seen shopping jokes a thousand times. But back then, they didn't have Amazon. They didn't have eBay. They didn't have Facebook Marketplace. They, uh, Peg didn't have access to a whole myriad of, of ways of shopping that shoppers have nowadays. So you have a whole, you have a whole, uh, you have a plethora of new jokes that you can make around shopping. And right. the same thing with about the whole sex feud thing. I, I believe it was Annabelle, if I'm not mistaken, that, that brought up the whole Viagra thing. That's a obvious joke that you can make now that you couldn't make 25 years ago because Viagra didn't exist. <laughs> right. So now that they've had this break, so to speak, I feel like you can figure out a way, a new way to pull the, the, the rabbit out of the hat, so to speak. Right. But, and, and I agree with you. I mean, there's a twist that you can make. But the issue then becomes, well, how long can that, how long can that last? Like, in other words, okay, you want to now set it in the modern era. Can you get a full season of 26 episodes? Maybe two seasons? Maybe if you really want to, like, talk about how much the world has changed in the last 25 years. Right. But more than that, I, I, I can't see it, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's not that I'm being skeptical, it's like, I feel like I'm trying to be realistic about it. I mean, Carl, right. what are your thoughts on that? I do have a couple of things to say about it. So, like, um, it's very, very interesting that the show is coming back overall. Yes, um, the world has changed a lot in the last 25 years since Marriage Children got taken off the air. So it would, like, if you had the right writing, you'd probably be able to, like, be able to squeeze like a lot of the stuff that um has happened in the last 25 years like the that we can definitely do the viagra because it's been created since the cancellation um we can talk about like the different ways that peggy uh, can shop like she can shop online because they internet has a lot more ex accessibility than it did back then i know like one of the things that's happened since then would be like downloading music which could be a storyline for Bud and Kelly. And with the show being animated, like we can, it gives them the opportunity to set the show in a, any way that they want. So like the, you could probably put, have the show set in the same age group, which the show was most popular, which would be like, in the, like seasons like three, four, five, and six, when Kelly and Bud were still teenagers. You could do a lot of uh, storylines with that. Because after all, Bart Simpson was 10 years old for 33 years. A couple of things I'm most concerned about with this one, uh, most importantly, would be the, um, the lack of a studio audience, which is what gave the show one of its most uniqueness. Because like, you would have the show consistently 
the audience would be laughing at all the jokes and they would be they would be cheering anytime Al said something or did something that the audience agreed with. That all that goes away when the show goes to animation. Right. Yeah, and you know, we covered that in our uh I mean, we covered all those aspects, and like I said, I'm I'm interested to see where they go with it. But I mean, I mean, I guess my focus was just on the writing itself. It's like, okay, we have these characters. Yes, we can sort of talk about the modern era, but like, I, I mean, yeah, it'll be fun to hear those types of jokes. But after a while, it's like they're going to run out as well, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, and you're you're not going to get ten years worth. You know, you're certainly not going to get ten years worth out, in my opinion. Maybe no. I'm wrong. All right, uh, so moving right along. So this microwave oven, which is now new technology to them, to the Bundys, you know, is uh, is viewed almost uh, as uh, like new technology in 2001 Space Odyssey. So we hear the music to Thus Spoke Zarathustra. What is it? It's a microwave oven. What kind of cruel joke is this? Send it back. Wait, no, no, no. I've heard about these. Now, whenever you want hot food, all you have to do is press the buttons. Oh. So it's like the phone. No. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard this music in Married with Children. Uh, according to the uh, wiki page, which I'm sure Annabelle had a uh, hand in uh, providing some of the content, uh, either directly or indirectly, it's appeared in Kelly Does Hollywood Part 1. This is when Bud is uh, sort of flexing his uh, muscles, trying to get onto vital social issues and stuff. In Pump Fiction, it appeared as part of the soundtrack to Shias. <laughs> and... Uh, also, in Shoeless Al, uh, one of my favorite episodes, when Al yells out stop and puts on the shoes at Jim's Bolarama to win the Puggy Weaver Cup, that music is played. So uh, this is one of the f- uh, favorites of uh, the production staff. I guess uh, Jonathan Wolf, who's uh, in charge of music, must have uh, picked this. And this song uh, was originally written by Richard Strauss in 1896. And as I mentioned, it became very popular because it was part of the intro to 2001 A Space Odyssey. By the way, we know that the math never, ever makes sense on this show, but how the hell is Peggy the home shopper of the month? I mean, Al makes, what, $3.25 an hour, I think? (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. I mean, to be home shopper of the month, you would assume the person's probably spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month. (laughs) I just found that funny. Well, I guess on credit, right? On credit, right? <laughs> She's probably applying for all these credit cards under her name and Al's and, char- and maxing them all out. And then as soon as she maxes one out, she'll apply for another one. Right. Yeah. Now, one of the lines that Peggy says, which is funny, it's like, it's like whenever you want hot food, you have to do is push the button. She's like, oh, it's like the phone. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I guess like home delivery or nowadays it would be like Uber Eats. Yeah, see, that would be a joke. That would be a good joke for the animated series. Peg yep. ordering, uh, well, really all of them ordering all types of food on Uber Eats until they 
until they realize they actually have to pay for it. <laughs> That's a good storyline right there. Right. What's that? Yeah. And now we hear the opening credits. All right. So technically, Act 1, Scene 1 begins in the shoe store. And Alan Griff are just sitting in the chairs and no one else is there. I'm telling you, buddy, hard as we work, we deserve a raise. Oh, Griff, it's your turn. <laughs> All right. You know, I could get a trained chimp to do your job, but it'd be a waste of a perfectly good trained chimp. Yeah, but it's such a nice vacation for him to get out of your bedroom. <laughs> By the way, I think that is one lucky chimp. (laughs) This year, we're going to have a sales contest. First place gets the raise. Second place gets a swift kick in the ass. Why don't you give us a real incentive? Let the winner kick you in the ass. (laughs) Instead of kicking my butt, you should be kissing it. Hey, what do you think I look like? Your monkey? Now, isn't it funny, like, you know, everyone's banging, and, you know, I thought what was funny was, it's like, Griff gets up to go to the door, I thought he was going to open the door, and then all he does is just closes the blinds. Right. <laughs> right. And then Gary walks in, and the people that are banging just stand there, and they don't, <laughs> you'd think they would have rushed in after her. Now, you know, when Gary makes that comment about uh, getting a trained chimp to do your job, I mean, it's almost like foreshadowing the last episode of season 11. Kind of is, isn't it? Mr. Zippy. (laughs) You know, Al and Griff make all of these chimp, you know, these jokes about Gary having a chimp in the bedroom. Like, effectively, that's her lover. And that (laughs) seems to be, that seems to carry through the entire episode all the way to the end. Right. You you know, something I had in my notes here, not to jump ahead, but I think everybody that's listening probably knows that Gary and Bud have a romantic relationship in season 11. Wouldn't it have been funnier if it were Gary and Griff? <laughs> because I just the, just the way uh, Griff was buttering her up there a little bit, I, it dawned on me that would have been funnier because Bud, as we know, by this point in the series, is getting some pretty serious tale. I mean, he's had Amber, he's had Ariel, he had uh, Mindy, even though he didn't really want to. I mean, he's getting some pretty serious tale. It seems like it would have made more sense to me if it were Gary and Griff, but... That's just me. What, what do you guys think about that? Well, I don't think it would have been as funny because I think the whole point is like, what would Al be more repulsed with? Would he be repulsed with Griff being Gary's lover or Bud? Yeah. I mean, and, that, and, and just so everyone knows, that's episode 11. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, and, you know, the joke was that Bud was basically her sugar baby, pretty much, because <laughs> she's a rich older woman and he's a really young guy poor guy in his early 20s you know but i don't know it's just something about the way griff was buttering her up i was like eh, that might have been funnier if it were griff and gary <laughs> i kind of have to agree with uh, bud um and that storyline with bud and gary that they did i felt it was a lot funnier than um gary and griff but like gary and griff <laughs> would have that would have been another uh, funny storyline for the animated show <laughs> That stinks. Yeah, sorry. It's a tough break, buddy. 
What are you talking about? Well, come on, Griff. You can't compete with my charm. I'm a natural-born salesman. Excuse me. Hey, you... do I come to the hag shop bother you when you're working? <laughs> <laughs> this contest is no contest. You're going down, Bundy. Let's rock, fat boy. <laughs> Your mama. <laughs> my wife. You win. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so now we have Griff and Al effectively competing against each other. Chris, when we interviewed Rich Scheidner, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was effectively the, the best shoe salesman ever. Right. I mean, he got that Shoe Salesman of the Year award in, in, episode, in season nine, Pump Fiction, if you, if yeah. you recall. And that, you know, we just referenced that with... Uh, the song. <laughs> so I don't know, but I mean, but I get at the end of the day, Al's always going to be the worst right. salesman, you know, as he harasses uh, some of the uh, <laughs> customers yeah. in there. He says, you know, do I come into the hack shop to bother you when you're working? I mean, again, that was one of the lines in some of those like Al Bundy's greatest insults uh, compilations you find on YouTube. Old Luke Ventura, half the time when he was uh, buttering his customers up, he was wanting to sleep with them. <laughs> and then, you know, some of them were, were unattractive ladies. You know, he was yeah. working off commissions, so he's trying to make sales. But, yeah, Griff, he's buttering them up, too. <laughs> Griff uh, says a funny joke. He says, yo, mama. And Al says, my wife. <laughs> and, look, he hangs his head. <laughs> now, you know, like, whatever happened to, like, yo, mama jokes? I mean, there was a period of time when those jokes were pretty popular. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, I remember seeing them like on TV shows that were made in the 70s and the 80s and even into the early 90s, I remember. But they seem to have died off like around this time, the mid 90s. It really started to die off. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we I still remember making those jokes in the, um, you know, just at school and on the school bus and stuff. And uh, I think uh, recently I posted that video of Ed O'Neill's appearance on In Living Color where he got into that Yo Mama joke uh, contest against uh, Jamie Foxx, I think it was. Now, we have a little snarky comment here from Annabelle, which I agree with. <laughs> she says that Marcy killed them after enemies. <laughs> That's what I was about to say there. Didn't they make a comment about that in enemies when they were in the diner and the, and the cook just put the burgers and the drinks in the bag? Yeah. So now we go back to the kitchen. Mom, I'm telling you, this microwave is broken. Now, I keep pressing the popcorn button and no popcorn's coming out. Well, try pressing lamb, pork, or veal. Wonder which one it'll be. Excuse me, Betty and Moronica. You gotta put food in it first. Well, then what good is it? <laughs> and Bud's looking in the freezer. And Kelly and uh, Peg are trying to figure out why they're push- pushing the popcorn button and no popcorn is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> and Bud's look on his face when they're making those comments, <laughs> that made the scene right there. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Now, Bud calls Peg and Kelly Betty and Moronica. <laughs> So, Chris, you want to tell us where that comes from? Sure. Betty and Veronica from Archie Comics 
Archie Comics Publications Incorporated is an American comic book publisher headquartered in Pelham, New York. The company's many titles feature the fictional teenagers Archie Andrews, Jughead Jones, Betty Cooper, Veronica Lodge, Reggie Mantle, Sabrina Spellman, and Josie and the Pussycats. Those comics used to be sort of in the checkout aisle, you know, check uh, of your supermarket, right? They used to be like mm-hmm. little booklets. I've, I've read lots of them, I, you know, when I was a kid. I thought they were great. My favorite was Jughead. You know, he made those uh, impossibly large sandwiches, right? <laughs> I don't know if either of you guys are familiar with those. I haven't heard of it. No? Arch, Archie's comics? No? I've heard of it, but I've never actually read them. Okay. Betty was the blonde. Veronica was the raven-haired girl. You know, like an Archie and Jughead. All right. No. All right. I guess uh, makes me officially old, guys, right? <laughs> I feel like I sort of remember reading that. Were they in, like, in the same section as like Peanuts and all that? Yeah, like I said, usually I remember Archie Comics used to be, you know, as you were checking out along the conveyor belt in the supermarket, they would usually be like right there next to, they usually have a candy rack and all that, but that's where they would place them. Okay, cool. Yeah, they would be next to like Farmer Iggy's Almanac. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, look, wait, I found something way here in the back. It's a little turtle. turtle you said he went to go live on a farm where he had more room to romp and play well honey actually uh timmy turtle had a terrible disease and we decided to freeze him until we could find a cure he has no head mom well that was his disease do they have a cure for that yet Oh, when they find a cure for that, you'll be the first to know. See you soon, Timmy. Okay. Look, here's a meatball. Oh, put that in. Come on. Oh, my God. That meatball has eyes. I wonder what a bigger head would do. (laughs) Now, Bud finds what appears to be a meatball in the freezer, and they put it in, and they find that it's actually the turtle head. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we have a note here from Annabelle, and she said, you know, it's reminiscent of Freddy the Goldfish in Married with Queen Part 1. Pop, pop. (laughs) Right. Hey, Kel, I think I got something here. It could be edible. Let's see. It's... It's... Freddy, my goldfish? (laughs) It's the one we froze till they found a cure for whatever was killing him. Bud, you were only five then, so we didn't tell you, but, um... What was killing him was that we didn't feed him. (laughs) Oh, Freddy. Dibs on the head. I get the head. He was my pet. Yeah, well, I was the one who didn't feed him. Oops. 
<laughs> well, let's just fry him up and we'll say next time I get a pet, you can let him starve to death. Deal. <laughs> Kill, I can't. I mean, I just can't eat Freddy. He lived in my room. So does Fungus. Where do you draw the line? <laughs> At a fish I was proud to call my friend. Hey, let's go outside and throw him in the front of a car. Maybe we can get some insurance money. <laughs> oh, cool. So, thanks, Annabelle, for that. And that's pretty funny with, you know, Kelly you know, talking about, uh, screaming about poor Timmy. If you notice, like, Peg also, like, uh, she sizes up Bud's head because they're trying to figure out, like, how... How how a bigger head could go into how big of a head could go into that microwave? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. Uh. Oh, that's your father. Quick, hide the microwave. He smells turtle brains. He's gonna want dinner. <laughs> Mmm, something smells good. <laughs> Gee, Al, I saw that on Oprah. Smelling things that aren't really there is the first sign of a brain tumor. Gee, Peg, I thought that watching Oprah was the first sign of a brain tumor. I do like Peg's line there. She says, uh, you know, quick, hide the microwave. If he smells turtle brains, he's going to want dinner. <laughs> <laughs> And this setup over here, I thought that was pretty funny. You know, Peggy says that I saw it on Oprah. Smelling things that aren't there, the first <laughs> that aren't there is the first sign of a brain tumor. And Al says, <laughs> "No, Peg." So I thought watching Oprah was the first sign of a brain tumor. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I mean, those Oprah jokes, <laughs> those don't seem to get stale, right? Yeah, no, yeah, they're consistent with those. <laughs> They used to make fun of Donahue in their early years, but by this point, Donahue's retired. Uh, that's right. All right, so again, ping-ponging. Here we go. We're back in the shoe store. <laughs> no waiting at register two. <laughs> Say habla espanol. Free shoes. Al tries to at least sell a shoe, right? <laughs> so he says, Se habla espanol. <laughs> uh, again, if we go back to Al Bundy's greatest insults, here's the setup. Can you help me? Madam, I would be delighted. Do these shoes make me look fat? Oh. Be honest. <laughs> no, they make you look very... Fat. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm new at this. May I add, that's a lovely brooch. Or is it... Cud stain? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I mean, this is a setup, but these we've had these setups before, right? If you remember, like, back when um, Al couldn't insult a woman... You know, otherwise he'd lose his parking spot. Yep. If you remember that episode. Yes. So, uh, like I'm saying, it's like, it's funny. Uh, and, you know, and even I question the funniness of it. I mean, like, you sort of, you know he's going to say it. What's funny to me is the unexpected, right? So, I, 
I don't know. I, I, I sort of question it. Now, of course, Al tries to con Griff out of the Rays, right? Score one more for the Griff Express! <laughs> you know, Griff, because I respect our friendship, I'm willing to split that raise right now. Like I'm going to fall for that. Ah, oh, come on, Griff. We had to make Gary give us both a raise. How? Well, she must be doing something illegal. Yeah, but will the monkey wear a wire? <laughs> he wants to split the earnings, right? But right. they have to figure out now if she's doing something illegal. And... You know, obviously, it gets handed to him in a silver platter because we have the, a kid who plays Captain Hook come in to the shoe <laughs> store with a hand truck. Sign here, please, for shoes from the sweatshop. Uh, not now, kid. We're trying to blackmail someone. Please hurry. If I am late getting back to the sweatshop, they'll make me watch Caroline in the City. <laughs> kid, we're talking here. Now, what can we blackmail Gary with? Excuse me, but I have to get back to Gary's sweatshop. Hey, this kid just gave me a great idea. Long John Silver's for lunch? <laughs> no! Don't you get it? Sweatshop blackmail. Gary's going down! <laughs> my, my question is, Al has never noticed this before, uh, these kids delivering shoes? <laughs> like this... <laughs> He's only worked there for, what, 20 years? It's over 20 years now? <laughs> the kid has to say sweatshop like three times before Al and Griff carry on. Now, <laughs> the joke that they make is that uh, <laughs> if the kid is late, he'll be tortured by having to watch Caroline in the City. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take it away, Chris. Caroline in the City is an American sitcom television series that ran on the NBC television network. It stars Leah Thompson as a cartoonist, Caroline Duffy, who lives in Manhattan. The series premiered on September 21st, 1995 in the must-see TV Thursday night block between Seinfeld and ER. The show ran for 97 episodes over four seasons before it was canceled. The final episode was broadcast on April 26th, 1999. And did either of you watch that show back in the day or in reruns? No, no not really. The only thing I remember watching about Carolina City is that um, Family Guy, back in their early years, they did a joke um, in this episode, um, Peter's at the casino, and he tells Lois, remember that one time I pretended to be gay, and then they cut to a scene with Peter watching Carolina City. But that's the only thing I remember. Now, by, by 1999, when that ended, like, sports had pretty much taken over my whole life. Sports and... I watched. I got into wrestling too. I don't know if either of you ever watched wrestling, but no. <laughs> yeah, but no. That was in the '80s for me. <laughs> yeah, the Hulk Hogan era, huh? <laughs> Andre the Giant. Exactly. Good. Yep, that's right. Uh, until about I'd say like 1988 or so, and then I sort of uh, stopped after that. Although you know, Chris, my grandmother loved it until she died. She loved watching SmackDown. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite was always Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know who that is? Yep. The Texas Rattlesnake. <laughs> My grandmother lived to be 96, and at least, you know, up until she was like 89, 90, there was like a daily ritual for her. That's funny. I did watch Caroline in the City in the first season. I was a fan of Leah Thompson. She, of course, played Michael J. Fox's mother, Lorraine Baines McFly, in the Back to the Future series. And she did a few movies in the 80s, early 90s. So 
A couple of good ones, a couple of bad ones. I think like Howard the Duck was one of them. <laughs> but uh, I thought she was a great actress, and I did enjoy that. I wasn't really too keen on the plot lines with uh, Caroline in the City, so I think I tuned out after the first season. There's one more thing I'd like to add about Carolina City. I have it in my notes here. There's an actress, uh, Candice Azura. She played Madame Igna in Psychic Adventures back in season six. So they said that she was a regular um, actress on Carolina City. She was also in Rodney Dangerfield movie. She played his wife in Easy Money. So that's uh, you should check that out. There's a reference made to Long John Silver's. Long John Silver's, also formerly known as Long John Silver's Seafood Shop and sometimes abbreviated as LJS, is an American fast food restaurant chain that specializes in seafood. The brand's name is derived from the novel Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson, in which the pirate Long John Silver is one of the main characters. Just out of curiosity, so you, you two live in uh, New Jersey and Arizona, correct? Uh, Carl, is that right? Yeah. Are, are there any Long John Silvers near you guys? Well, we had Long John Silvers up in Phoenix when I lived up with my family. We wind up eating Long Johns once in a while when I was in high school, but I haven't had it since. Okay. I was just curious because there used to be a lot of them. Actually, there used to be one just a couple miles from where I live right now, and there used to be two of them within about five miles, but both of those have closed. And before we started this recording, I looked up on Google Maps. The closest one is 16 miles from me now. Oh, and Chris, we actually do have a couple of Long John Silvers here in my town of Tucson. Okay. So, so we still have them out here. Yeah, there's only, according to Google Maps, there's only a handful, like maybe 10 of them total in the Houston area, which is pretty amazing because Houston is massive. I can't say I've ever eaten in one, but I know that there was one close to my parents' house that closed a while back. And there's actually one that's also closed, <laughs> uh, close to where I live now in New Jersey. But it's uh, it looks like it's been closed for quite some time, but no other chain has moved into it. But you can still see the signage. Yeah. So I I don't know what it is, you know. And I think, like, people just like burgers. I guess they don't think of fish. As, as something uh, that they For eat fast regularly. Food, yeah. yeah. Now we go to a new scene and a new set for Gary's Sweatshop, which is called Happy Souls Footwear. <laughs> okay, we got the camera, the lapel mic, and the bulletproof underwear. You didn't tell me to bring any special underwear. Yours are already bulletproof. <laughs> right. Hey, this spy stuff makes me hungry. Did you bring the Cheetos? No, too crunchy. I brought gummy bears. <laughs> this is the most humiliating thing I have ever done. You obviously don't remember your Little League tryouts. <laughs> Is the sombrero cam ready? See. <laughs> Go in there and get pictures of the horrible, squalid working conditions.
Now, to me, the one joke, I don't know if you guys caught on to this, that makes me laugh. It's full of immigrant workers. And I guess the, the, the joke is that they're illegal immigrants. So right. the first one that they pan to is a guy wearing a hockey jersey with Canadian written in front of, of him, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the Montreal Canadiens logo are supposed to be at. Right. And I think what's funny is that they had to put the sign Canadian in front of them, I guess, for people to get the joke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have a funny story for both of you. My first time I went on a business trip to Canada it was a long time ago. And, uh, and I was there for a few days and I had been to Canada like once before, but, you know, more for personal reasons. I have some family up there. So I was in the office and this girl who's of Indian descent, so her, you know, her parents, I think, were from India. So she had been born and raised in Canada. She comes over to me and she says, well, Luigi, I have, I have a question for you. I'm like, well, okay. You know, and it's like, you know, I, I'm thinking of moving to the United States. It's like, okay. Yeah, like, you know, I'm thinking maybe like moving to the New York area. It's like, I know you're from New York and, but I, I'm a little worried. And I, I said to her, okay, like, like, what are you worried about? Like, again, I, I didn't want to make any assumptions. So like I figured, let her tell me what, what, what's bothering her. And she says, well, you know, like I, I'm afraid that, you know, people will be prejudiced against me. And I'm thinking to myself, prejudiced against you. Like, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, she's from, in, you know, she's from India, like her parents are from India. It's like, you know, and I'm, I'm not really thinking that, you know, people are, pre you know, I've heard of like prejudiceness or discrimination against, you know, people from India. And, you know, it was like, it's like but I, I said to her, like, I, can you explain this more to me? He's like, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned that, you know, people would, you know, be prejudiced against me because I'm Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> So I said to her, listen, I don't think most people know where Canada is in the U.S., so I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Hey, you know, that that's not far off from being true. I mean, I, you know, I talk to Matt Thompson a lot about maps and stuff, and he is, like, really knowledgeable, knowledgeable about maps and geography. It kind of amazes me, frankly, but... A lot of Americans can't point out a lot of things on on the globe. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think I think Matt probably knows more about U.S. geography than most Americans. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I don't disagree, but I, like I said, this uh, I mean, I always remember that story because, like, I mean, I thought she was asking one thing, and it was completely opposite. And like what she asked me, I thought was like ludicrous from the perspective of like you know again i mean <laughs> i've never heard of uh, americans being prejudiced against the canadians unless if you saw the movie canadian bacon which i highly recommend for everyone that's i think a hysterical film i used to live where they filmed that movie <laughs> really in niagara, in niagara county like my father used to work for their sheriff's department that i mean i think that was a masterpiece of comedy yeah, my father said that they didn't actually work like they didn't actually work in the same sheriff's department as my father, but they basically gave the cast a, a bunch of the uh, uh, uniforms from the sheriff's department to make it look like they worked for the sheriff's department. 
pretty much that uh, that movie and stuff is pretty much spot on from what Americans think about Canadians. And the my, probably the, mo- the the best thing I liked about that movie was when they were in the hockey arena for that hockey game, and John <laughs> Kenny says, "I'll tell you another thing: their beer sucks." And the whole uh, crowd just stood in silence, and, the, and a riot breaks out. <laughs> yep, and that is true because I think that's the that's the one time where you get you get a rise out of Canadians. Like you know, they have a reputation of being like very like kind and friendly and like passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, don't insult the beer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Bud joins Alan Jefferson wearing a sombrero cam. <laughs> yeah, so Bud says it's the most humiliating thing he's ever done. And he says, you obviously don't remember your Little League tryouts. <laughs> Al has referenced that before, by the way, in the past. Al and Shoeless Al. Son, you remember that time you didn't make the Little League team and you came home crying and... I said it was okay because you did your best. Yeah. Well, that was a crock. <laughs> I was ashamed of you then and remain so to this day. <laughs> well, I guess that was a great callback, right? Yeah, it was. That, that was a pretty damn good callback, actually. Now, you know, I thought it was funny. Bud has this cam comes up, and, you know, like they had that hot chick uh, who uh, <laughs> ben drops some... Uh, Bends over, right? He starts taking pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Al says to him, keep it in your head, Boudreaux. Right. <laughs> so now we get introduced to this guy named Bob. Now I'm wearing the wire. I'll get this guy to incriminate himself. All right, all right. I'll go search the office for damaging evidence. Jefferson! These two gummy bears are doing it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bob Thompson. Welcome to Happy Souls Footwear. What can I do for you? Um, gummy bear? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I uh, have an underage worker for you. Are you uh, interested? So you, you, you would be interested in, in exploiting this child in your highly illegal sweatshop. You want to clarify that? <laughs> He's nodding. Uh, so, would you care to add anything before we strike this highly illegal bargain? Yeah, these bears appear to be doing it. <laughs> now, you know, we're going to do a callback to season two. So, the actor, his name is Patrick Thomas O'Brien. He was the guy in season two who caught the mouse. Hi, folks. I'm Wally from Wally's Pest Control. We hate Mises to pieces. <laughs> yeah, we stole it, but the cartoon characters can't sue. You'll never get him. Come on. He's right down here in the basement. Never. Not in a million years. This is a mouse from hell. <laughs> You'll never get him, Peg. That little wimp like that. The mouse will have him for dinner. Well, got him. You didn't get him? No one could get him. Well, nobody just did. It was easy. Poor thing was trapped on a piece of wood in the rising water down there. But technically, I got him. I'm the one that blew up the basement. So I got him, right? Sure he did. Ha! 
Let me see him. That's him. You don't look so tough in there, do you? No. Lots of times, kids get these little white mice as pets. Parents won't let them keep them, so they just turn them loose in the streets. Want to see him, Mrs. Bundy? Oh, no. Get that away. Oh, come on, Peg. He can't hurt you. You got to learn to face your fears. Now, take a look at him. Just one. Stop being a girl. Wow. That's a hell of a callback right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, he would be somebody I think we'd like to interview, right? If we could. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Just to know, like, you know, for someone who played a character actor and played a completely different role, that would have been interesting. Yeah, so now, you know, Al had made the point about, like, you know, these two gummy bears, uh, <laughs> they look like they're doing it. So they continue that joke uh, when they're talking to Bob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't say much because uh, his teeth are stuck together as he's eating those gummy bears. Hey! Who was that? Well, that's Manny. He's our VP of Human Resources. <laughs> he's in charge of orientation. <laughs> that seemed a little harsh. <clears throat> well, uh... Here's your finder's feet. Well, spare the prod, spoil the child. Hey, are you interested in buying an older redhead? Now, she's not a good worker, but she's a good breeder. I wouldn't breed her, but somebody could. Sorry, but we're full up. Uh, pleasure doing business with you. Yeah, uh, you too. Hey, uh, in the future, uh, if I should come here for my sweatshop needs, should I go directly to you or to... Your boss, Gary, from Gary's Shoes. Whatever. He said whatever. Bingo! Now, here what I thought was funny, when uh, Manny the Thug picks up Bud, and Bob says he's our VP of Human Resources, he's in charge of orientation. That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little biblical reference here as well. So Al talks about sparing the rod and spoiling the child. So that, again, not that we like to be religious on this uh, podcast, that comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 24. Now, Jefferson comes out, and one of the things is he trips over someone's feet. Look at the slave wages they pay these poor people. They make more than me! (laughs) And they get rule! Now, when he tells Al that look at the slave wages that they pay, Al says, well, they pay more than me. And they even get gruel. <laughs> I laughed about that. I, sl- slave laborers make more than Al. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pretty funny. All right. So we end the scene, and now we ping pong back to the shoe store. Hey, notice the theme here? Yep. All right, you chuckleheads. This better be good. I'm in the middle of a facial. We'll turn around. Let's see how it's going. <laughs> Look, we know you run a sweatshop. And we've got the proof. All right, you caught me with my pants down. Hey, enough about your facial. <laughs> now, we have demands. We want shorter working hours. Uh, Al, that means you'd have to spend more time at home. <laughs> we demand longer working hours. <laughs> we don't. We want money. Okay, you got me over a barrel. Hey, who's blackmailing who here? <laughs> 
What I'm saying is, you can have anything you want. <laughs> 250 bucks! <laughs> Each? <laughs> Yes! I'll bring you the money tomorrow. Today! Okay, but uh, I'll have to miss my electrolysis. Tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> this to me is almost like a little bit of this uh, uh, who's on first type of dialogue. It's like they just keep going back and forth and like it's all of these word plays, right? <laughs> it's like we want you know Al says he wants shorter working hours and Griff says that means you're going to have to spend more time at home it's like we demand longer working hours <laughs> <laughs> and then they start talking about wanting more money <laughs> yeah <laughs> and 250 bucks I mean I don't know what, what's, what's the inflation calculator on that I mean it's it's not double by 1996 dollars but you know let's say it's like 450 bucks you know, yeah, let's say. I mean, each. <laughs> you would have thought they would have asked for like fifty grand each or something. I would have asked for more than two hundred fifty bucks for sure. <laughs> so, so I just find that. Uh, I mean, again, it's a little silly. You know, it, it's a stupid kind of silly. And then, like, they finally agree that Gary needs an electrolysis, right? <laughs> yeah. So they should can come back tomorrow. Now, the one thing about Janet Carroll, and I pointed this out before. It's like you realize that Al gets tormented by redheaded women. Yeah. Like it, it seems to be like a constant. Like it's subtle because it's not like Al calls Gary a rotten redhead, right? But, you know, if you remember like, um, you know, Gary's a redhead. If you remember in one of my favorites of season five, that's the episode entitled And Baby Makes Money. Ah. You remember when they're in that lawyer's office? Like all the Bundy men have redheaded women. Yeah. Yep. It's su it's subtle. You have to look at it. So it's like effectively, I mentioned that on the England episodes. It's like that's part of the Bundy curse, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I I just thought that that's great because you know the way her hair is dyed because that's not her natural color. Like it sort of all goes with the theme of like you know Peggy at home, his boss at work. So this is you know his, his tortured life. So yep. I thought it thought it's subtle, but it it's funny. Yeah, nice find. I didn't even think about Gary uh, being redheaded like that. And now we ping pong back to the living room. It's almost ready. Mom, Mom, look at the clock. I think we're going backwards in time. <laughs> well, maybe you can take us back to before I met Al. <laughs> then I wouldn't have been born. Not necessarily. <laughs> oh, there's your dad. Hide the microwave. Where? Uh, put it on my side of the bed. Lord knows he'll never find anything there. <laughs> hey, guy. I swear I smell food. Well, you haven't been eating around on me behind my back, have you? <laughs> I can't even breathe behind your back. 
Hey, what is that? I heard a ding. Uh, ringing in your ears. That's the second sign of a brain tumor. You must be terminal. Hey, you don't have to cheer me up. I've had a great day. And Kelly says that they think that they're traveling back in time. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you know, when Kelly says, but I wouldn't have been born, and Peg says, not necessarily, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I'd say the callback is to when Al said that, you know, the football team retired her jersey. So, <laughs> so that probably means Al's not Kelly's real father. Right. I, mean, I think that's the insinuation. Well, I was going to say, you know, it was kind of funny. I, I, I was actually having this conversation with someone recently. I was like, what are the odds of a redhead – and a brunette producing a blonde <laughs> just hmm. from a genetics standpoint, you know, but Peg is a bottle red. Ah, okay. And as is Kelly, if you remember it's... that, remember there was the episode like early on, it might've been season one or two. Uh-huh. Well, actually even as far back as season one, Kelly says, do you, do you think like blonde hair just grows out of your head? And they make also references to getting bleach and then like her bleaching her hair. Ah, okay, okay. So Kelly's hair is colors not natural, and neither's Peg's. Do you remember when I was seven, and I was crying because Bobby Sheckman liked Terry Mall just because she was a blonde, and you ran right out and bought me my first bottle of bleach? <laughs> oh, I almost forgot about that. Honey, what is your real hair color? <laughs> I don't know. What color is yours? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's times like these, I wish we'd taken pictures. <laughs> gotcha, okay. I would assume they either have like brunette or black, they're either brunettes or black haired. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was just, you know, I was thinking, it was like redhead and Al's a brunette and they produce a blonde, but Bud comes out with brunette, but that makes more sense now. Now they have this little gag where Kelly picks up the microwave and runs into the closet, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so Al says he's been sniffing, you know, he thinks there's food in the house and, you know, she really thinks that it's a sign of the brain tumor. <laughs> so <laughs> Peg says that, you know, his, his tumor must be terminal. And, uh, and Al says, Peg, you don't have to cheer me up. I've had a great day. <laughs> 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 and now we have another one of those Al Bundy's great insults uh, scenes. And this is when Marcy comes in with the chicken, with the plate of the uncooked chicken. Well, Mercy, congratulations. I didn't know you were expecting. Peggy, my oven is on the fritz, and I was hoping you could warm my giblets. I thought that was your husband's unfortunate job. No, it's my job to stuff the bird. so many things that I could point out right now. Your receding hairline, your depraved children, your chronically unsatisfied wife. <laughs> Thank you, Peggy. But I just think I'll keep it simple. You're a shoe salesman. Make that shoe salesman slash extortionist. <laughs> Al's boss runs an illegal sweatshop and he's blackmailing her. Al Bundy. I have never been so ashamed of you. 
Oh, except for last night. No, no. You know, we'll just keep that between ourselves. Which was something you weren't able to do. <laughs> but let's not get into it. Which, you know, you also had trouble with. Okay, All right, I'm sorry, Al. I won't bring it up again. Of course, up. <laughs> you are a despicable human being. <laughs> and you, Jefferson, will be slaving away in your own little sweatshop tonight. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. So this is a third of the fourth one. It's like he says, I didn't know what you were expecting. <laughs> now, now this is a great exchange. Al says, I thought that was your husband's job, you know, to, <laughs> to warm the giblets. And Al says, no, it's my job to stuff the bird. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and again, you know, you have all of this back and forth. Um, you know, uh, the jokes are funny. I mean, like I said, I, it's not that the jokes aren't funny. It's just like I feel like it's the style is very different. Yeah. You know, so that that's where it that's where to me it starts to lose its luster. And especially like when Peg goes into the rant about how, you know, well. She's never been so ashamed of him, again, for being the extortionist. Well, except for last night, and then we have to keep that between ourselves, right? We're able to do it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, God. And I guess the point where Al has to cover Peg's mouth just to shut her up for good. Yep. And here's another one of those uh, Al Bundy's greatest lines. Well, Peg, since my ship came in, I'm going out. Think I'll bowl a few frames. Uh, honey, why don't you just stay home and bowl me over? Because, Peg, I, I prefer a place where my balls are returned promptly. <laughs> Hi, pumpkin. Hey, Daddy. <clears throat> What are you doing in the closet? The, this isn't the closet. This is the, uh, it's the elevator. <laughs> Going up. Well, this day just keeps getting better and better. Peg says, why don't you stay home and just bowl me over? And it's just because Peg preferred a place where my balls are properly returned properly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> so now, like, again, we have this, you know, cartoonish thing where now, you know, now Al opens the closet and there's Kelly holding the microwave. And it dings. It's like the elevator. And now Peggy goes in. Yeah, it's just, it's just absurd. Right. But but what's funny is that, you know, then Al jams the door with the seat, right? Yep. <laughs> and he leaves. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. And now they go back to the shoe store again. Next scene. Here we go. Another scene change. All right, beat this. Over the fountain. <laughs> off the gap sign. And right into that woman grazing the Hickory Barn sample bed. <laughs> What do I get if I knock the salami out of a mouth? A grateful salami. <laughs> oh, 
Hey, no fair banking it off her forehead. Remember how Al used to cure the salami in the trunk of the Dodge? Yep. So, so somebody I think likes salami, just like we had somebody on the show who liked pastrami. Yep. That's where it would be fun to talk to uh, someone behind the scenes. You know, we've talked about Stacy Lip and some some others. It'd be interesting to talk to someone behind the scenes and be like, who's the one that likes the salami? <laughs> Why does that keep getting thrown in, you know? You know, uh, maybe if we speak to uh, Larry Jacobson. Yeah. You know, that would be something. Uh, hopefully uh, we can talk to him this season. Like, that might be a question to ask him. Was mm-hmm. he the one who loved the pastrami? You're right. <laughs> There's something I'd like to add to there. So, like, remember when Al and Griff are focusing on, like, where exactly they're going to throw it? It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was, like, a McDonald's commercial from 30 years ago featuring Michael Jordan and Larry Bird about where they're going to shoot the basket, and the winner gets the McDonald's food that they brought in. That kind, That's kind of what it re- reminds me of with what they're talking about, where they're throwing the shoe. This is for your Big Mac, right? First one that misses? Watches the winner eat lunch. Got it. Off the glass. Get in. Nice shot. <laughs> one knee. It's me. Get in there. Off the floor, off the scoreboard, off the bank board, no rim. Over the second rafter, off the floor, nothing but net. Through the window, off the wall, nothing but net. What you want is what you get, and McDonald's today. Off the expressway, over the river, off the billboard, through the window, off the wall, nothing but net. I know the one you're talking about. They start off like with a layup, and then they do a free throw, and then by, by the end of the episode, they're like up on the scoreboard at the top of the arena, shooting off of chairs and off the floor and all that. Is that the one you're talking about? Yep, exactly. Yeah, that was a good commercial. I remember Larry Bird was like, "One rule, no dunking." <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a great commercial, by the way. Now, when Griff tossed the shoe out the door, you know he hit someone, and it's Gary. Oh my God! It's Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of you morons threw this shoe? He did. <laughs> ah, all right, you idiots. Here's your hush money. Where's the evidence? Hmm? Hey, this is fake money. There's no such thing as a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> uh oh. So she shows up with the hush money. It's funny, Al says, hey, this is fake money. There's no such thing as a $100 bill. <laughs> <laughs> he obviously doesn't make much money in the shoe store. Right. Are we really supposed to believe a guy in his 40s has never seen a $100 bill before? <laughs> that's pretty funny. Well, you know, that's a good point. If you think about if you, but but you know, if you think about it, you know, a lot of stores especially back then didn't accept hundred dollar bills even to this day because right. of counterfeiting yeah so most so, businesses don't take any bills as somebody who works in retail um i can definitely tell you most businesses particularly the smaller ones they don't accept bills over 20 because of the fear of counterfeiting but some, but, but but businesses like mine that are big box retailers they'll take 50s and hundreds left and right 
And and nowadays, I'd say, you know, especially with the pan, you know, post-pandemic era, I'd say most people are almost forced to use de- debit cards or credit cards. You know, I see less and less cash, especially since COVID. I don't yeah. know, is that what you're seeing as well, Carl? There have been times like, like the banks would uh, not send us. Co- we would have coin shortages from time to time, but like we do, we still see pe- um, we do see people paying with cash. Probably not as much as we used to, but like we do have. Being only sixty minutes from Mexico, we see a lot of people from Mexico coming up and stocking up on a bunch of on a bunch of groceries, and they'll big pull out that big a uh, big wad of cash, like what Carlos did in Al goes to the dogs. Right. No, that's true. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, someone at work was like, uh, they went to um, uh, IKEA. And she said to me, it's like, I was with my daughter at Ikea and there was a huge line like for cash and there was like nobody in the credit line, like for credit cards. And like, we just sort of cut everyone. And she's like, and she had moved from Denver and she goes to me, I don't understand why. And I said, well, you know what it is, is a big immigrant community in that area. And they don't, you know, immigrants and particularly if you're illegal, you can't get credit. So all their transactions have to be in cash. So to me, it's like, you know, that, that's one of the elements of it. But I would just say for like norm for, again, an average American, because of the pandemic, I just feel like it's, I see less and less of it. Yeah. But again, my business, for example, like we have, we have regular registers and then we have self checkouts. The self checkouts do not take any cash. You have to use debit cards, credit cards, gift cards, or food stamps. And then if you have, if you want to pay with cash or check, which we, we have a lot of seniors that shop in our store too. And these guys don't, uh, they pay with either cash or checks. So they have to go to a register. It's so crazy to me that in the year 2022, people still use checks. Like (laughs) crazy. I mean, it shouldn't be crazy. I used to work at a bank, but like just from a retail standpoint, like it's crazy to me. Like I can't imagine walking into a, a, you work at Sam's. Is that right? Yes. Like I can't imagine walking into a Sam's and writing a check. (laughs) I do see people particularly, mostly like seniors, they'll write checks, especially for the credit card payments. And yeah. then and then sometimes we'll have like business owners that will come in and write checks for their businesses. I guess for businesses, that, that kind of makes sense. I, I guess for from a bookkeeping standpoint, that makes a lot of sense for a business. But mm-hmm. just from like a an individual, do you ever see anyone like our age walk into a Sam's and, and buy something with a check? <laughs> no, not our age. Like a, I haven't seen the average age that they would be paying with a check would be like probably around 60 years old. And then when we process these checks, they're processed electronically so that they will tell you right away if they're good or not. And if they don't, then the payment is automatically spit out and says, additional payment, please. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess that's one of the things it's like, yeah, you can pay with an older method, but the new methods sort of (laughs) get to the, Get to the heart of whether or not money's there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we see one of our favorite characters. And unfortunately, this is the last time that she appears on the show. Oh, man. This is Miranda. Yep. Here they are. This is Miranda Veracruz de la Hoya (laughs) Cardinal. To news tipster Marcy Darcy, we have just discovered that Gary's Shoes uses sweatshop labor. And if that isn't bad enough, 
These shoes are hideous and poorly constructed. Speaking of hideous and poorly constructed, meet Gary, owner of Gary's sweatshop. You're the one who's exploiting these children? What do you have to say for yourself? You can say I'm ugly. You can say I'm untalented. But don't you dare say I don't care about the children. We're trying to secure an interview with Teresa Parente. I figured I'd let everyone know because, you know, we see the listeners' comments whenever we announce a new interview. I know uh, everyone mentions Miranda quite a bit. We're, uh, we're working on an interview. We've, we've had some, some interaction with her. It's been positive. We just haven't been able to nail it down. So we're just patiently waiting. We'll see if we hear back from her. So fingers crossed. Now, this thing about Gary in the sweatshop... This episode is parodying what happened with Kathy Lee Gifford. So again, this is a little bit of a time capsule because I feel like, I guess, the society, we've forgotten a little bit about this particular episode. So back in 1996, and this was only a few months before this episode was taped, there was a whistleblower revealed that, that the clothing line that she had, which was being sold in Walmart, was made in Honduras by children in sweatshops. So Gary's little speech there, where she says, you can say I'm ugly, you can say I'm untalented, but dare say that I don't care about the children. She is pretty much saying word for word what Kathy Lee Gifford said in a television interview around that time period. And I truly resent this man impugning my integrity. You can say I'm ugly, you can say I'm not talented, but when you say I don't care about children and that I will exploit them, for some sort of monetary gain. For once, mister, you better answer your phone because my attorney is calling you today. How dare you? So again, you know, this is one of those things that, I mean, Kathy Lee Gifford's still in sort of, you know, our conscience, you know, our collective pop culture conscience today. But this is one of those little episodes that, of something that happened, and I think, you know, you had to have been there to remember it. And I got to thank uh, Annabelle for reminding me because, like, I I remember when I was listening to it, when I was watching it for years, like, I'm like, I know that, I know this. It's like, I know this speech. I know it comes from something, and I couldn't put quite put my finger on it. And then it's like, oh, of course, this is about the sweatshop of uh, Kathy Lee Gifford. So that was, uh, that's what that's about. It makes a lot of sense after that kid said, Frank Gifford gave us more. Now... The thing with Frank Gifford, so that was Kathy Lee's husband who passed away in 2015. And a little bit about him. He was an American football player, actor, and television sports commentator. And he had a 12-year career as a halfback for the New York Giants. Uh, And he was a play-by-play announcer and commentator for 27 years on ABC's Monday Night Football. He had cash, and he was handing it out to the seamstresses, I guess, to, like, calm them down because they were protesting that, you know, they... They were earning slave wages, and that's what that was about. That's why they made the reference to Frank Gifford. So there you go. That's my money. I blackmailed that money fair and square. What about Val? What about me? I'm exploited. I'm I'm overworked, underpaid, and malnourished. I've got a brain tumor. Al, three things. First... Second, to have a brain tumor, you have to have a brain. 
And third, this is not about you. This is about these poor, victimized children. Thank you, senora. Uh, watch the hook, Paco. <laughs> this is cashmere. <laughs> oh, thanks, idiots. I couldn't buy publicity like this. So you're going to give us the raise? Forget it. Since I've been busted, I'm cutting your salaries in half. Back to work, morons. <laughs> you heard the man. <laughs> Back to work. Across the orange, Julius. To the sunglass hut, to the Nordic track store, and right up Gary's monkey loving butt. <laughs> we end really the scene because now Gary's like, hey, this is some of the best publicity I've, I've ever gotten. So now that she's been busted, they cut their salaries in half and they go back to work. <laughs> so Al throws the shoe out the door and he says, across the orange Julius to the sunglass hut to the Nordic track store and right up Gary's monkey-loving butt. Now, Carl, you provided a review of an Orange Julius on uh, on our YouTube channel. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, the Orange Julius you saw me tasting in that video, that's the first Orange Julius I ever tasted. And I basically tried out the original Orange Julius, the one that made the uh, business what it is today. They got a wide variety of... Fruit juices, they got smoothies, you can add like protein and extra oxidants for additional charge. But basically the, the original orange Julius that I, I tasted, you can taste the orange in there and it had sweetener and basically it, it, it tasted like a really good drink. Right. And like I, I showed that video to a lot of my coworkers, they are huge fans of orange Julius themselves. And they basically, they said, Carl, you nailed it on the spot. And then I remember on the YouTube the YouTube video, there was a comment. Vincent from uh, Australia, he basically commented saying, we don't have Orange Julius here in Australia, but you did sell me on this. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, and there's no Orange Julius's on the, in the Northeast either. So I'm sold on it too. Maybe that's going to be my next road trip. You know, Chris, I was in uh, California a few weeks ago, and I uh, OD'd on uh, In-N-Out Burger. So <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, Orange Julius is sort of like my next road trip, right? We also That's have an, we also have In-N-Out Burger out here in Tucson. And in fact, there's another brand we have out here that just got bought out by somebody that's planning on taking it nationwide called EG's. They're mostly famous for flavored slush. So if you ever come across an EG's, I recommend trying out the flavored slush. Now, we get the end credits... However, we have one more final scene. What kind of trashy tramp would wear these? <laughs> and in the final scene, we have text on the screen six months later, and Bud is still working in the sweatshop. So Bud says, what kind of trashy tramp would wear these? And we cut to Peggy sitting on the couch twitching her leg, reading the TV guide, and she's wearing the exact same shoes as Bud made. And on the floor is a box with the shoes came from, and it says, help me, Bud Row. And, and the end. Yeah, you know, uh, Luigi, I, I wanted to make a comment about that. Uh, you know, Bud's quote there where he referred to Peg as a trashy tramp, that kind of stood out to me as, as maybe more evidence that maybe the, these writers don't really understand the characters. It feels more like he should. The, the joke should have been trashy tramp, and then showed Kelly wearing the shoes. Like, 
it's weird uh bud referring to his mother as a trashy tramp you know what i mean that, like, I that's true like, i don't feel like we've ever seen that in in 10 plus seasons up to this point i don't feel like bud has ever referenced his mother as a tramp before <laughs> right unless i'm forgetting I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> it should have been Ke like Kelly. I mean, Kelly and Bud feud back and forth 24-7. But right. I don't ever recall that about Peg. <laughs> but the shoes that Peg wears is like shoes that Kelly would never wear. So the thing is, is that he could have used another type of word instead of a trashy tramp, maybe to make a joke about Peg. But you're absolutely right. I have to agree with you on that. That joke felt weird to me, <laughs> having Bud talk like that about Peg. but. Yeah. What do you think, Carl? Yeah, that I feel like that was it was it was a poorly written ending, and like um, they should have found a better way to have like either describe Peggy or at the very least cut it over to Kelly. And the one thing that uh, made me really upset was that everybody seemed to have forgotten about Bud. Like six months later, like Bud's still working in a, in the sweatshop, and nobody seems to remember him. Well, he is living in the basement. Maybe they figured he never came out, right? <laughs> right. And just before we get to the reviews, uh, one final comment from Annabelle is that the promotional pictures for season 11 were probably taken, were probably most definitely taken this week that they filmed this particular episode because the promotional photos for season 11 include the outfits that the family wore that particular week. And yeah, nice find, as always. Yeah, th there, you, there you have it. Like I said, uh, if anyone would know, it would be Annabelle because she, she definitely pays attention to the costumes. Mm -hmm. And with that, we'll be right back with our ratings. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. And we're back. Okay, so Chris. Mm -hmm. How many turtle heads do you want to explode in a microwave <laughs> uh, in review of this episode? <laughs> All right. Well, it's a tough call. I, I, I gave it a great deal of thought. You know, I, uh, I will say I don't particularly like this episode a lot. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, no amount of great acting can make up for poor writing. And I feel like that's going to be a theme for the vast majority of season 11. Um, uh, However, this episode does have some home run, some good home runs in it. <laughs> it does have some pretty good laugh out loud moments. It has some good, some very good jokes with good deliveries. It even has a couple of really good callbacks, so I'll give them credit for that. It's just kind of everything in between. It's not connected well. So when I was thinking about my rating, I was thinking, well, you know, top of the heap, uh, I gave a one. So, you know, that's kind of the baseline. And... Enemies, I gave a 1. Radio Free True Main, I think I gave a 1.5. This is obviously better than all of those. And I think Barely Men, I gave a 2.5 last season, and which I think was the lowest rating I've given of any you know, regular non-spinoff 
uh, episode. So I'm going to follow suit and give this 2.5 exploding turtle heads out of five. <laughs> with two eyeballs each. Right, with two eyeballs <laughs> each. <laughs> All right. So, so, Carl, so how many exploding turtle heads in a microwave are you going to rate this episode? Well, thank you guys for inviting me back on the show. This was a very interesting episode, and I'm going to tell you guys right now, like, between, uh, between the uh, season finale of season 10, the jokes on Al, and the first episodes of season 11, like you can definitely tell that this is a completely different format. And for those who have been longtime fans of Married Children, uh, who have watched the show Loyalty for the first 10 seasons, season 11 is pretty much a little bit awkward. And I'm the kind of person that, that, that does kind of favor the later episodes, but this one is not going to fall in that particular tier. I am sad to see that this uh, this was Miranda's last episode, but at least we got to see her one more time. My favorite moment of the whole episode was when Marcy and Jefferson walk in, and Marcy I mean, and Marcy gets another chicken insult with L saying, "Congratulations! I know you're expecting." And then <laughs> um, <laughs> the microwave uh, gig um, that was pretty interesting. Like I can kind of relate to that because my first microwave, which I still have. I actually won my microwave 17 years ago, uh, the night I graduated from high school. We had a graduation party, and I won that in a raffle. And I still have it to this date. So, like, seeing that Peggy had won a microwave, I can definitely relate to that. But, like, but at least I'm a lot smarter than Peggy on how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things, like, I would have liked to see better. Like, for example, like... But still working in the sweatshop six months uh, six months later, I wish I would have gotten to see like a closure of, of Bud being rescued from the sweatshop, and then like the microwave. This is the only time that we see it. Um, I would one of the things I would have liked to see was Al actually finding the microwave. Back in season eight, there was an episode called Legend of Ironhead Haynes, in which the Bundy family hid a refrigerator full of food in the garage from Al. And then in the closing credits, you find you see Al finding that refrigerator. One of the things I would have liked to see from this episode was that Al actually find the microwave and wanting to cook some food with it. Overall, this was a this was a funny episode. It does have a, a different feeling from all from many of the other episodes early on. But I am going to be a little generous on this one, and I'm going to explode three turtle heads out of five. Okay. Thanks, Carl. So for myself, in terms of exploding turtle heads, I sort of talked about it as we went along, uh, sort of my what I like about the episode. I think, you know, there's just, there are some good jokes and zingers. I don't like the sort of setup, like the fact that, you know, they're they're not very, like, well thought out, like they're quick hits. Uh, Chris, I think you said it really well. It's like you're swinging for the fences instead of getting a few hits and then doing a grand slam, you know, like a, like a little bit more of a buildup. You know, the fact that the scene changes so much times. I mean, many times in Married with Children, you know, in the earlier seasons, you know, you're you're spending most of your time in the living room and then, you know, you maybe go to the shoe store for a little bit or you spend most of the time in the shoe store and go back to the living room but not this thing where it's like you know you're you're bouncing around from set to set to set you know it's almost more like a movie right than uh than sort of the the traditional sitcom 
But the thing is, is that I do have to give the writers credit that they were able to tie it all together. But I just feel that the the writing overall was weaker than normal. And uh, it probably could have been, uh, you know, a, a little bit tighter and, and funnier. But, uh, you know, I, I do... I do give them credit for making it funny, uh, if that makes sense. I'm going to go with Chris on this one, and it's going to be two and a half exploding turtle heads for me. If uh, any of you disagree, please uh, note that in the comments. We'd really love to hear from you. I think uh, season 11 is going to be a little controversial because uh, I think that everyone expects, I mean, I think the general consensus is it's the weakest of all the seasons. But there's going to be people out there that really love this. And as I pointed out, this particular episode has at least four or five of those Al Bundy's greatest insults come from this episode. So, uh, and people laugh at them. So it's not, it's a complete total waste. But I feel like when you put it all together as a story, that's when it gets a little weak, if that makes sense to you guys. Uh, Anyway, and that's it for this week's episode of the Married with Children podcast. Carl, thank you so much. We really appreciated having you on. Thanks for having me back, Luigi. Good to have you, man. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, we're just at the beginning of Season 11. We're recording episodes as we go along, and maybe we'll hear from you one more time before we wrap up, or at least one more time before we wrap up the show. Thank you very much. Uh, And and, and we we encourage you to continue posting. Uh, We... I enjoy seeing your comments. Uh, You're pretty consistent, I think, every week with making some comments and creating some of your own content on what we do. And, uh, you know, we think it's all all fun. So we hope uh, that continues and uh, you keep keep, uh, flying the Bundy flag with us. Absolutely. And I do invite you guys to come join me at my YouTube channel, Mr. Wildcat. Uh, I'll be making some additional notes on... Uh, on the episodes as the podcast team goes along. Plus, I'll be reviewing some some classic episodes of Married Children in between. That's great. And Chris, you know, I can't believe it, man. You know, Chris has been my partner in crime now. Uh, this is our fourth uh, season together. So, uh, you know, hard to believe. It really is, man. I can't believe how, how quickly time has flown by. It feels like just yesterday we were starting together, you know. So I'm, uh, I can't believe it, buddy. Uh, we're going to bring this uh, through the home stretch, And uh, hopefully, uh, if you like Rich Scheidner's interview uh, two weeks ago, we hope uh, you know, Chris is diligently working on trying to get some more. So definitely, we'd love to hear from more people who are involved with the show and love to talk to them and get their thoughts. And, you know, so just uh, stay tuned. All right. And... With that, next week on the Married with Children podcast, I will be joining Team Aerosmith, who's uh, Stephen and Tyler, <laughs> uh, with, for the episode entitled Kelly's Got a Habit. In order to get a $20,000 contract of a model for a national olive oil brand, Kelly has to sign a morals clause, which requires that she remains chaste. This proves to be a difficult task. Meanwhile, Al hears that Officer Dan is appearing in his favorite TV show, Cops, and blackmails him to become his partner. So thank you again. Thanks for continuing to listen to us. And tune in again next week. As always, same Bundy time, same Bundy channel.